Revelations by former contractor Edward Snowden that the National Security Agency is collecting metadata on telephone conversations and intercepting Internet communications from abroad of non-Americans as part of an effort to identify possible terrorists has created a lot of confusion about individual privacy. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of Information Security Media Group. And to help us understand today's privacy environment, I'm pleased to be joined by Peter Swire, who served as Chief Counselor for Privacy in the Clinton's White House Office of Management and Budget, and will soon be leaving his post at Ohio State University's Law School to join the faculty at Georgia Tech's Business College. Thanks, Peter, for taking time to speak. Glad to be here. Edward Snowden unveiled two programs, one in which the NSA collects metadata on telephone conversations, information such as which phone numbers are called, how long the conversation lasted. The other program, codenamed PRISM, is a surveillance program that facilitates intelligence information from electronic communication service providers for national security purposes. Does either one of these programs weaken privacy protections for Americans? I think that the, the telephone information called the, uh, database story, to me, is, uh, is big news. Part of it is that I think ordinary Americans don't imagine their own telephone call information going to the government routinely. And the information here is who you called, who called you, how long you were on the call, but also your location for all your cell phone calls. And so that's a tracking database for the location of all those phone calls you've made. And in human history, the government's never really had a sort of database of your location that way. And this database apparently does that. And is this something we should be concerned about, or is this because there's so much data out there, the likelihood of any individual having that information looked at is probably very minute? The problem with great big databases is once they exist, people find ways to use them. You know, during the J. Edgar Hoover years, there was a history of growing and, and growing surveillance in a lot of ways, wiretaps of Martin Luther King and surveillance of Vietnam War protesters. And actually, by the Democratic National Convention of 1972, a third of the delegates in a political convention were under FBI surveillance. As part of my history of FISA work, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act work, having studied the uses and abuses of the data during the anti-communist era, you know, up to the 1970s, that really led up to water. I think that having those kinds of databases is a real problem. Is FISA, the law you made reference to, enough to protect Americans against that? Well, FISA was part of the answer to Watergate. So it was passed in 1978 after President Nixon resigned in 1974. And it was an attempt to uh, have a legal structure for our national security wiretaps and national security investigations. And to that extent, it was better than the old ways, which was the FBI would just sort of do what it wanted to do. And it was also better and intended to correct some of the abuses the CIA and the NSA and the Army. And I think it's done a good job of creating a legal structure. But I think with the war on terrorism after 9-11, the pressure to do things and to build databases have been so great. And the countervailing pressures to say where the limits here haven't been as great, especially in a world where so much of it's done in secret. So I think that it's really time for a reevaluation of whether the FISA rules are the ones we should have going forward. What are some of your ideas on how we should reevaluate this? Part of it is, I think, that we should have less secrecy about the legal theories. Um, we, you know, for Freedom of Information Act requests suggest that we've actually had uh, secret court decisions that say something's unconstitutional, but we don't know what the court said was unconstitutional, and we don't even know its legal theories. And so when it comes to secret law, that shouldn't be the way that it works in the United States, absent some really extraordinary circumstances. So I think a mo more publicity around the legal theories. I also think collection about Americans uh, for doing domestic calls is highly questionable under the Fourth Amendment, under, under the idea of judicial supervision. And, and so I'm, I'm worried that the collection um, is sitting there waiting to be used or abused potentially in the future. And so cutting back on that. And, and so having uh, regular federal judges with less secrecy play a bigger role, I think, is part of the answer. Do you have any concerns about the prison program? 
I think the facts on prison have been harder to figure out. The facts on the telephone collection, basically there's agreement on what happened now. On PRISM, that might have been the name for the software program used inside the government to handle all the data coming in. And the initial stories got pulled back. Um, the initial Washington Post story in particular um, got corrected over time. A lot of the big companies have issued denials, and there's some discussion now that the companies might be able to give us more transparency about what they're turning over or not turning over to the government. I think that's another area that's ripe for change, is to have more reporting in public, especially of summary statistics. So we have a sense of how much the investigations are about some particular person or small group of people, and how much instead the investigations are really about give us every email that you have in this huge database. And in a world of clouds, if an investigation can get the whole database, I think that's really going too broad. The whole idea in the Fourth Amendment is we're supposed to avoid general warrants, we're supposed to have particularity for the searches, and I think that area has to be revived more than it has been recently. We've been hearing a lot over the past few weeks that people aren't overly concerned about their their privacy. They're already disclosing a lot about themselves on social media. And as we've heard several congressmen say, you know, they have nothing to hide. Is this creating a climate of ambivalence at best about attitudes toward privacy in which the government programs secretly collect information about individuals? I think we always have mixed emotions on this. You know, some of the polls say, do you think ordinary Americans' telephone records should be under surveillance by the government? And three quarters of the people in a CBS poll this week said no. But then you say, do you think that your people should be willing to give up a little privacy for security? And a majority says yes. So how you frame the question really has a big effect on the answers here. The whole Constitution has always been trying to have liberty and trying to face security challenges. The founders were revolutionaries and they were trying to have the freedoms that they wanted against George III, but they also wanted to have an ability to have the United States survive in a dangerous world. So I, I don't think this is anything new. I think each of us has those splits. And part of it is not to stop having national security work, but it's instead, have we, do we have anything like the right checks and balances in place right now? And we've been whittling those away a lot over the last 12 or 14 years. And it's time to, I think, say it's a moment of relative calm and we can look at it relatively rationally and put some checks and balances back in place. If you're counseling a chief privacy officer or chief information security officer, say at a bank or healthcare provider, government for that matter, uh, is there any advice you could give them regarding these programs, the collections of this kind of data? Is that, or is there really nothing they can do about it? Mm -hmm. Well, when the government says it's going to stay secret, I wouldn't assume they're right, right? So you, there's a reputation risk for your company if you turn over the data, and the next Edward Snowden might be talking about your company. Part of the job for the CISO or the CPO is to remind people that things don't always work the way you want them to. We want to be good patriots. We want to be good against stopping terrorists, but realize that the reputation of the company is on the line if you don't follow the rules and if you assume things are going to stay secret, which may not stay secret. Thanks, Peter. I've been speaking with Peter Swire of Ohio State University's Law School. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.